Okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What? Kyle. What? Gotta, I, hold on. We gotta, we gotta bring something up. It's not Sunbelt related. And hey, I know that we're you, under the sun. Listen, the last time we, we, did, we brought up something unrelated to the Sunbelt, you, you gave me a hard time. So why are you going against your word? Because Tennessee beat Bama. And okay. right. that's, that's, that's right, okay. right. You know what I'm saying? Tennessee, Tennessee beat Bama. Neither of them are Sunbelt teams, but Tennessee beat the team that we all love to hate. So <laughs> congratulations to them. And it is a $100,000 fine for rushing the field that the Tennessee president said he had no problem paying. Yeah, we're not even sure where the goalposts are. But anyway, they're, they're in the river. <laughs> Anyway, uh, cue up that intro. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Under the Sun with Sully and Nash. I am TJ O'Sullivan, and that is Kyle Nash. I'm, and we've got a really good one for you today. Uh, we're going to take you around the sun as per usual, which we've got a jam-packed around the sun. It is You'll, you'll see what we're talking about in a minute. Um, and then we're going to go into a sport that isn't football. We're going to go into basketball, uh, Sunbelt Conference previews. First games are starting on November 7th, so we've got a whole bunch of info for you on that. And then, of course, football recaps and predictions. But let me introduce you to my partner in crime, Kyle Nashheim. Kyle, how we doing? Man, we are doing great. We're trying to put together two separate podcasts. We're trying not to pull our hair out. And we are once again celebrating the fact that Alabama is on the outside looking in right now of the college football playoff. There is a higher power that is that is shining its light down on the valley that is Tennessee. Gosh, you know, like that. I, 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 I'm just going to say I love Nick Saban. Honestly, I do. I think that he's a, he's a tremendous football coach, but it's really nice to see somebody else other than Alabama in the playoff. It's <laughs> in the playoff picture. Like <laughs> I, I can't deal with that anymore, but even with one loss, you know, they still got a chance. True. But I, I will sit here and say this. Tennessee has not been relative, you know, you know relevant in the national picture since some big four-headed quarterback named Peyton Manning was roaming the fields. So, yeah, exactly. They're crazy this year. And Jalen Hyatt, five touchdowns on, on that game, is that's just wild to me. He had over 200 uh, receiving yards. Um, he scored five touchdowns, as I said. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's Hendon Hooker is, is, I think, a very – talented quarterback and I think that he's like he's in the Heisman picture now I I would think like he's got to be he's got to be creeping up there I haven't looked at his stats but I mean Tennessee's been on fire so you would assume you know who's the most valuable who's the most missed I think Hendon Hooker might be in that conversation but before we go too off track <laughs> let's um let's get back into the Sumba. we had a big week for some belt you and i had a phone call that lasted about three hours yesterday 
talking about what we were going to be doing and what we were going to be talking about. And we've got a little addition to um, around the sun, don't we? Like we, this is, I'm looking at some of these sports we got in here and we, we kind of, we kind of went balls to the wall, huh? I, I think it was one of those things where we just sat around uh, with a, with a dartboard and go, you know what? Let's see which strange sport we can talk about today. And somehow it just split into three different directions and landed <laughs> on three different things. So uh, well, social is, media, social media is a beautiful thing. So it, it is depends on who you ask though. Yeah. Well, without further ado, as you know, we talk about the sports that are not football, basketball, and baseball, not the big three, uh, in a little segment that we like to call Around the Sun. Kyle, take it away. All right. Well, first, we're going to talk about men's soccer, number two, Kentucky and West Virginia. The game ended in a 3-3 tie. Two players, one for each team, had two goals in the game. Casper Grinnick from uh, Kentucky. Diane Dalmers from West Virginia. Both of them are in the top 10 in scoring in the Sun Belt. Georgia State's Elio Jones was named the Center Park Credit Union Student Athlete of the Week. If you can say that five times fast, I will give you a dollar. He netted his first career goal to put Georgia State up 2-0, helping to secure a victory against Liberty. And he's a grad student for Wales, so congratulations. Uh, ranking update, Kentucky retained its number two ranking, but is now tied with the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Marshall losing to Old Dominion over the weekend has dropped to number six. Women's soccer, Georgia State and Arkansas State. Arkansas State won one nothing to move uh, real close to Texas State in the West Division. Darby Stotts scored the only goal in the 17th minute, her fourth of the season. She's only made six starts. And the Red Wolves are 5-1 and one in those starts. Moving on to women's volleyball, Southern Miss and uh, Texas State. Texas State swept the weekend series. Lauren Teske had 29 combined kills, moving her into fourth place in hitting percentage with a 366 um, percentage. Janelle Fitzgerald had 25 kills on Saturday, improving her kill average to 3.71 per set, currently seventh in the Sun Belt. Appalachian State Athletics, we got to talk about them. Their field hockey team had a 2 nothing win against Longwood and St. Louis. Uh, then won again on Monday. Uh, do not have who they de- defeated. They're currently on a five-game winning streak since October 2nd. Volleyball went 2-0 against ULM on a four-game winning streak. Women's soccer defeated Old Dominion on Friday. Cross country, the men came in first and women came in second in their USC Upstate Invite Meet. And now here's where we come to the uh, dartboard. Women's Rifle. What? I said women's rifling. Number 17, Georgia Southern knocked off number 14, Jacksonville State, on Sunday as part of a tri-team meet, also including number 11, Nebraska. They were unable to defeat them. They finished second ahead of Jackson State. Highest ranked team the Eagles have ever defeated. And then in women's swimming, what? I said women's swimming. Zuri Clavo from Georgia Southern was named the CCSA Swimmer of the Week. She led the Eagles this weekend's dual meet against North Florida and Vanderbilt by placing first in the 1,000-meter uh, freestyle. 
with a time of 10 minutes 28 seconds. Also placed uh, a second place finish in the 500 meter freestyle and a third fourth place finish in the 800 meter freestyle relay as the anchor leg. TJ, I have no idea how you score in rifling. I was going to mention that um, we <laughs> we have to we have to assume that it has to do with accuracy. Um, yes, but when I, I was that's looking at that, why, I believe that's the reason why our call lasted three hours because thirty minutes was tr- us trying to figure out how to score in rifling. Yeah, well, it, it's it's you know it it was it was actually it was fun to to learn about how yes. to score in rifling because when you look at those final scores it it was like 4628 to 4613 and, and something like that and i i was like hold on <laughs> like what are we what are we talking about here 4000 points like no i would assume it has something to do with the accuracy but we have to give some love to the to to the olympic sports to the the um the the lesser like no, I, I I don't want to say lesser I want to no. say the less recognized sports right. um that's that's just that's what we did that's that's around the sun um and this week it was a really big sun uh <laughs> but um but here here's the thing we have to take another lap around the sun this time. We have to stay in one lane, though, and that lane is going to be the upcoming basketball season. Yes, men and women's basketball starting up pretty soon. We've got the men's and women's basketball preview. So what we're going to do is I think we're going to um, now – Let's, uh, Kyle, Kyle, you, you explain how we're going to do this. Okay. So this, this is a three-part segment. Uh, part one will be today. We will talk about all the teams that are in the Sun Belt East. Now, I'm not sure. Um, some conferences do not use divisions in basketball. Some do. So what we're going to do is we're going to do it based on divisions, but we're also going to tell you how the Sun Belt preseason media poll has them ranked overall. We're going to tell you um, like one quick fact about each team, um, whether it be roster turnover, how they did last season. And then we're going to open it up to try to try to find one or two storylines that you need to look out for for this season. All right. Well, without further ado, this is around the sun part two. I, <laughs> but um, yeah, let's, let's get started, Kyle. All right. So first we're going to start with the men's basketball. Here is how media day standings are, um, were predicted uh, media days for the Sun Belt were October 18th and 19th. So while we're recording this, they are doing the second day of media days, but these polls were released earlier in the week. James, uh, I was, James Madison is currently projected to be the best team in the Eastern Division, fourth overall, though. Georgia State, fifth overall. Marshall, sixth. App State, seventh. Coastal, eighth. Old Dominion, ninth. So the East is dominating the middle of the pack in the Sun Belt. And then you got Georgia Southern 
uh, ranked as the last team in East and 11th overall. James Madison did not per, uh, participate in any uh, um, pre uh, postseason tournaments last year because of its move to the Sun Belt. They were six and twelve in Colonial Athletic play, but they do return three of their starters, including their two top scores. Georgia State won the Sun Belt tournament last year, lost in the NCAA tournament to Gonzaga, ninety-three seventy-two. That team has lost its top six scores, so that's going, that's going to be something to look at. Marshall, one of the worst teams in Conference USA last year, 12-21. and 21. Their only top-tier opponent that they're playing this season is Akron, who is coming off their first NCAA tournament since 2013, but they are returning their top three scores and other role players. App State, 19-15, lost to Georgia State in the Sun Belt semifinals. Made it to the basketball classic before losing to USC Upstate in the second round. They will be playing Louisville and Wake Forest this season and are returning eight players. Coastal, Coastal Carolina, 19 of 14. They were upset by Georgia Southern in the Sunbelt tournament, earned a berth to the basketball classic, losing to Fresno State in the finals, called on WCCU by TJ. But they are only returning three players. Two of them uh, had more than ten starts, so it's going to be a young team, a young, either young or inexperienced team together with Coastal Carolina. Old Dominion, thirteen and nineteen in conference uh, last year, fifth seed out of the East in the Conference USA. They're participating in the Charleston Classic. They could face Virginia Tech, Penn State, and South Carolina if the cards play themselves right. But they only return one starter with more than one, more than ten starts. So it's going to be an inexperienced bunch together. And in Georgia Southern, uh, five and eleven made it to the quarterfinals after upsetting Coastal, but lost to Appalachian State. But they're returning nine players, but only two of them have more than uh, ten starts, including their top um, score and rebounder Andre Severat. Um, Severoth. I apologize if I mispronounced that name. Um, but yeah, so TJ, that's the East Division in the men's. What's what's a storyline that uh really um stands out to you? Well, um before I get into that, uh you actually got it right. You were confident. Um Andre Severzov. Um, yes. that is, yeah, no, you're good. Um, I remember calling that guy. Um, he is, he is a really good player. He's like, he's like the, um, the, 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 the Dirk Nowitzki, the, uh, Andre Kurlinko, um, sort of player, uh, the oversized guard. Um, that's, you know, he, he's fitting that archetype. Um, he's really good and, and he's got a lot of expectations this year for Georgia Southern. Um, and, uh, Caden Archie as well. Um, those are two guys that I remember being some serious problems, um, in the East, uh, for opponents. But one of the storylines that I want to get into, or two of them are, uh, coastal Carolina and app state. I think that app state is much too low with the, uh, with the seventh place preseason ranking. Um, even though they lose, uh, some key players. They lost Michael Almonese and Adrian Delft, the dynamic duo um, over there. 
that would would cause nightmares to opposing defenses. Um, you know that I you got to have more confidence in head coach Dustin Kearns. I mean, he he's he's going into his fourth season. His first three seasons, he had winning records and a Sun Belt title in the first three years. Like you know, it, this is this is not some 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 guy that they found on the sidewalk like this guy knows what he's doing and i think that ranking them at seventh i think that they're going to use that as uh as motivation they're going to um we're, we're going to see something go down uh come november 7th um but the go ahead i was going to say and that uh, that some about uh, championship winning team in 2021 was one point away, or actually two points away, from facing Gonzaga in the first round, uh, barely losing to Norfolk State in the first four. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what App State does. That's, that's number one. Number two, oh, my God, Coastal Carolina is only returning three players. <laughs> Yeah. Like that's gotta be, that's gotta be the most roster turnover out of anybody, but you also, you kind of expected it because last season Cliff Ellis really attacked the transfer portal. Um, and he brought in guys like Vince Cole from St. John's Rudy Williams from Kansas state among others. So those guys are gone. And, um, now it's, it's down to Mustafa and Wilford Lakai are the only two like returning players with any, um, real playing time. So it's all going to come down to Mustafa, um, Jordan Brown of, um, of Louisiana. He was named, uh, Sunbelt preseason player of the year. Um, he's a six foot 11, big man. Um, and the reason that I bring him up is because last year, Arkansas State's center, Norshad Omir, uh, he was the Sunbelt Player of the Year. And anytime that uh, Mustafa went up against him or other elite big men in the conference, not, not going to sugarcoat it, he buckled. And that was, that's, that's a defining trait. So, I know from sources that I have still on campus at Coastal Carolina that they've seen him hitting the weights. They've seen him at Williams Bryce practice facility and he's looking pretty good. So I think that my, just like ULM's my dark horse in, uh, in, um, in football. I think that my dark horse for player of the year this year, it's going to be Mustafa, but I got to tell you, rebounding's never been the problem. Putting the ball in the basket has. And I think that he, he has the potential to help Coastal cause some waves, but it all comes down to what work he did this offseason and, and hopefully getting some touch around the rim. Now, Coastal, you know, I'm I'm looking up there. Um, they're the only school that has uh, that had a uh, quick facts sheet. So that's the reason why I was able to know, like, go without figuring out, like, doing all the math and whatnot. Um, they were able to bring home a uh, Conway boy in Jimmy Nichols, 
who came is coming to Coastal from VCU. So that's that's not a, a small school to uh, shake your um, shake your head at. In fact, of the eleven newcomers they have, only one of them is a freshman. Uh, local product a project Marcus Saunders from Christian Academy of Mar- Myrtle Beach. So you have players coming from Eastern Illinois, St. Bonaventure, Fordham, uh, even uh, Joey Kahn coming to Coastal from South Alabama. So, you know, the transfer portal is has definitely changed. Like we, we talked about it in, with football, with Georgia Southern and changing offenses. The transfer portal has really uh, kind of changed how teams look at their off, you know, look at off season uh, uh, conditioning, off season uh, moves. Cause normally it's okay. Let's we, we have these uh, freshmen who are red shirted. Let's just, let's, let's go ahead and see what they can do. Now it's, well, hey, we got a senior who wants to come here. Cool. Right. So, and and that's like I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that's you know, the the way that they've attacked the transfer portal in the past worked out for them last year. I mean, yeah, they absolutely. you know, they they lost first round in the Sun Belt tournament, but they ended up getting to the finals uh against Fresno State in the classic four tournament. I mean, they that was a good team last year. Um just underperformed in the big moments. Um, But how about James Madison coming into the Sunbelt and taking the top spot in the East? Yeah, that, that is um, crazy thinking. uh, If you think about it, because they were a uh, 15 and 14, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the, um, CAA stats from last season, but yeah, like what, why do you think um, James Madison was uh, given a top four ranking in the Sunbelt? I mean, if I'm honest, no lie to me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Other than, other than the fact that they're returning, three of their starters from last season and their top two scores. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons, but you know, last year, those, those three starters made up, um, were parts of a team that went six and 12 in conference. I, I don't know, man. I, I, they, they've, they've, they're bringing back some depth on their bench as well. Like, I mean, this is, I'm sure this is going to be a team that has some chemistry, mm. but this is a team that they, they had a, a losing record and it, and it wasn't really close. Like I, I'm not sure, but at the same time, James Madison and football has proved us wrong. So we'll, um, we'll see about, uh, well, the one thing about the colonial is you Townsend and UNCW have been in the, um, like standard bearers in men's basketball for the colonial Drexel uh, has Drexel and Charleston as well. So they have some stiffer competition from, from their perspective, but looking at um, statistics from last season, uh, Vado Morse 15.3 points per game actually was fourth 
in the Colonial last season and would actually be the highest returning score this season. In in uh, if, if they were in the Sun Belt last year, he would have been one of the top scorers coming back. All right, well, we'll see what happens with them. I I think that they're going to have a problem with uh, some of the I don't know the grittiness of the Sun Belt because it, it's a very physical league. Um, but. You know, like I said, James Madison's football team has proved us wrong. So we'll see what the basketball team has to offer. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think? We uh, Should we get into some women's basketball? I think we should do that. And unlike in the East where all the teams are bunched up in the middle of the pack overall, this is not the same for the women's basketball. Old Dominion undisputed best team in the East in preseason second overall to, uh, I, I don't have that information in front of me, but we'll talk about that next week. James Madison, uh, six overall Georgia Southern seventh, uh, Appalachian state eighth Marshall 10th, Georgia state 11th and coastal Carolina picked last in the East 12th overall. So what about these teams? Old Dominion, they were the three and they had a 24 and 10 record. They were eliminated in the second round of the WNIT by Columbia of the Ivy League, which is uh which is a interesting uh team to lose to. They are playing opening the season with Florida Gulf Coast, a team that has really uh made a name for themselves in women's basketball. Uh they are returning three starters that have recorded more than 10 starts. Uh one of them, Amari Young. 12.7 points per game in 34 starts. But of the three returning players, only one of them has recorded a start. James Madison, 14 and 15, but went 10 and 8 in conference. They also defeated Virginia. So uh, Virginia doesn't like to schedule James Madison much. They're returning uh, three starters, and three other players have uh, combined five starts. Georgia Southern, 18 and 10. They lost in the quarterfinals to former Sunbelt member UT Arlington. They did defeat Auburn to open last season. They're not, but, and they also are returning eight players and five of them having more than 10 starts. So that's going to be an experienced roster. Appalachian State, as the four seed, were upset by another former Sunbelt member, Little Rock, in the quarterfinals. They opened the season against Charlotte and they also returning 10 players four of them with more than 10 starts. Marshall, 15-3. and three. They were the fifth seed from the East, but they lost to Rice. Uh, they're only returning five players with none of them having a start. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No starters returning. Uh, the two players that recorded starts combined for 10 of them. Georgia State, 10 and. 16. They were the number 10 seed in the uh, conference tournament. They have a couple big games. They played Georgia Tech and Florida State in this season. They're returning uh, all but four of the 15 players from last season. So this is going to be an experienced roster. And then Coastal Carolina had a hot start to last season. Fell by the wayside. They had a coaching change, finished 15 and 11. 
lost to Troy in the quarterfinals. They lose their leading top, uh, top score and rebounder in Asia Blunt, and only two players recorded more than 10 starts last season. Um, that is what the women's East division looks like. TJ, what's your uh, first takeaway? Um, what is going on on these rankings with App State? Eighth overall is ridiculous to me. Um, <laughs> that's just my take. App State was a really good team last year. I got to watch them in person twice. Um, they lost Alexia Alesh last year, or, or excuse me, uh, in between last year and this year. Um, but they didn't lose much else. I, this is this is a really really good team. Um, you got Janae Sanders coming back. You've got, um, I was wondering why I couldn't see the tab. It was because the, uh, the zoom call was, was blocking it. Uh, <laughs> they, Don't they're returning me. Janae. Don't blame me. <laughs> they're returning J- Janae Sanders. They're returning Emily Carver, who Emily Carver is a big part of this team. Uh, even as just a sophomore, she had a lot of, um, she she had a lot of um, uh, of an impact last year. Um, Dane Bertolina, the uh, the three and D, uh, she she's going to have a huge part of this team. Uh, Summer Schloss, who I think goes overlooked, she's a six one forward who grabbed a ton of rebounds over Asia Blunt last year. Who we all know she was she was the top rebounder, one of the top rebounders in the league. Uh, last year. So um, I think that app state is getting a little disrespected here. Um, the, the other one that I wanted to take a look at old dominion coming in and providing some competition uh, James Madison as well. I think that that's going to be a slap in the face to the, uh, the returning teams um, who have been a part of the conference is that you've got two newcomers who are taking the top spots. That's, you know, that I think that that's going to be a little slap in the face for the rest of the Sun Belt. is, you know, Hey, the, these guys haven't even proven themselves against us. And now you're, you're putting them over all of us. And I think that that's going to be uh, a little storyline that you see develop. Um, but the one last thing that I've got, and this is speculation. This is complete speculation. Um, I couldn't help but notice on Coastal Carolina um, women's basketball Instagram page. I, I couldn't help but notice that in just about every practice and just about every uh, thing that they've posted, Asia Blunt has been there. Mm-hmm. I she, she, had, she announced uh, her transfer to Tulane. Yeah. She announced a transfer to Tulane. She's not on the roster right now. Um, so complete speculation. Is she trying to come back to coastal or is she just practicing in the hopes that she, you know, she takes a gap year and then she goes and, and goes for a fifth year somewhere else. Um, yeah. I don't know. She's not on the coastal coaching staff. 
She's not on the coastal roster as it stands right now. She's also not on the two lane roster. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but um, we might, uh, what we're probably going to do is we'll probably um, shoot, excuse us, the uh, media person for uh, women's basketball. We'll try to get in contact with them and try to see if there's any clarification that they can uh, give to us if, if they can comment at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I reached out to him. I, um, I'm not exactly sure, uh, when I'll hear back, but, um, okay. In other, in other news, in other news, I think that they're going to be, they're, they're going to be a gritty team. And I think that, you know, with, with Aaron Freeman and Angie, just Gene leading the guards, don't count them out, but they've got a lot to prove with a new head coach. Well, I'll, I'll sit here and say this, um, as far as like the, the new teams, um, there's a player that, um, the reason why James Madison is probably getting the love they're getting just amongst the East division teams, Kiki Jefferson last year, she led the team with 18.8 points per game and had 6.8 rebounds and 29 starts. She ranked third in uh, in scoring in the uh, Colonial Athletic Association, and fourth place was two points behind her. So these these teams in the Sun Belt are going to be staring at a very prolific score. And if if any team wants to try to take James Madison down, uh, that's that's going to be the avenue. You're going to have to stop Kiki Jefferson. And just looking at last year, and like I said, 29 and 893, 893 minutes, she scored an average of 18.8. So I think that's the reason why, you know, you're, you're talking about like it's a slap in the face of some of these Sunbelt teams who this team's coming in and they're getting all the love. Well, when you have a player that's averaging almost 19 points a game, yeah, you're you're going to get the love. Now it's your job to prove the preseason predictions, if you're James Masson, that they're wrong for picking you second. If you're a team like Appalachian State or Georgia State, pr- prove to the prove to the Sun Belt that um, yeah, no, we're we're still top dogs in this division. Well, now that um Little Rock is gone um, in, well, I guess it didn't really affect the East at all, but uh, App State's my sleeper. App State's my sleeper to win. I know that Troy is usually um, a great team, but we'll, uh, we'll get to them later. Um, The West in women's basketball actually used to dominate and we'll see, uh, we'll get into whether or not they, uh, that, that trend is going to continue next week. Uh, when we go over the West, well, um, basically the best team in East and for men's is basically fourth overall. So they, they still, the media poll still has, uh, the top three teams in the West as the top three teams in the Sun Belt. but we, we will get to that next week. We're not going to divulge who it is, but I think it's time that we get off this, um, trip around the sun and we go talk some gridiron. Are you ready? I'm ready. You want to take the first one? 
I will take the first one because it happened on a it was a Wednesday night, wasn't it? Or yeah, Thursday. it was a Wednesday night game. Wednesday night Sunbelt action, Louisiana starts to turn the ship around a little bit, getting its first Sunbelt victory with a 23-13 win over Marshall. We had two players of the game. I was, I was uh, definitely on the Kalan uh, Laybourne track. Despite losing the game, he continued his, his domination on, in the run game with 122 yards, two touchdowns on 28 carries. TJ, um, Kenneth... Almirdez, Kenneth Almendares, the raging Cajuns kicker. Okay, let me let me just give you his rundown. Okay, he attempted he attempted three field goals, hit them all. He attempted two extra points, hit both of them. His longest field goal was fifty-two yards, and he accounted for eleven of the raging Cajuns' twenty-three points. He's the special teams player of the week in the Sun Belt this week and almost single-handedly outscored Marshall. So that's which you know, I I gotta say, you know, you gotta give your special teams some love, especially with all of the the love that we're giving them on the uh the kick return and punt returns. But when you're hitting 52 yard field goals and you're helping your team win and scoring about half of their points. Hell, give him some love. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, one thing that really was to the detriment of Marshall, they went one for 11 on third downs. But here, here is what the drive of the game was, in my opinion. Um, after intercepting uh, Marshall quarterback Henry Columbi uh, to begin the third quarter, Ben Ruldridge, led a drive that resulted in Dante Fleming catching a six-yard touchdown to take a 10-7 lead. John Stevens' 34-yard catch to get them to Marshall's 11 was the catalyst for them scoring. Louisiana would not relinquish the lead for the rest of the game. So, you know, once again, third, third downs. If you're not being successful on third downs, you are it's it's going to be very difficult to win games let me let me pull up this stat real quick like i said they were 1 for 11 on third down and they they had almost 8 yards to go each time so you you're facing third and eights and you're converting only one time yeah you're you're not going to succeed in the fbs level well one of the and and another thing a little bit more, I guess, on the nose and, and obvious is Marshall's passing game was non-existent. They had two quarterbacks come in and combined, you know, with 69 yards and 68 yards apiece for Fancher and Columbia. The entire team had 137 yards in the air. Like we said last week, when you make Marshall one-dimensional, it's tough for them to win. Kalan yep. Laybourne is doing Kalan Laybourne things. Okay. <laughs> we, we know this, but the rest of the team has to contribute. And I mean, that's what happened. Both of the touchdowns were a result of labor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I said last week, like 
you know, there's only so much one player can do and he's, he's doing as much as he can. <laughs> there's nothing yeah. that, and, and they, they can't win if, if they don't spread the field, if they don't find their other options and, and the Cajuns, you know, they, I think that they have starting to figure it out. Their right. rushing game was not great. They were the exact opposite. Um, really there, they didn't have an exceptional performer other than Almondaris, in my opinion, they, they, right. they were, they played a team game where everyone was average, but that beats a team where you've got one star and everyone's pretty bad. I that's, and that's just my take. I hate to be harsh on Marshall, but I, you know, we got to figure out that quarterback situation and we got to figure out how to give Laburn some rest so that when he does make an impact, it's big. Well, here's, here's one thing. And one final thing I want to talk about before we move on to the next game. Yeah. You're, you're talking about only passing for 137 yards. One, one, if there's, if, if you want a moral victory, they completed 73% of their passes. They went 16 for 22. The problem was when you're averaging almost nine yards of completion and uh, uh, your opponent is averaging 14, you know, they're getting the first down on, uh, um, on every pass. You're not. That's, that's what it is like, you know, you know, congrats on, you know, doing, you know, doing good completion, but it's just um, Louisiana made more of those completions than uh, Marshall did. Yeah. I mean, in, in all, in all reality, you know, watching this game, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty game uh, other than, other than Kenneth Almondaris, I had, I can't say enough about him. I'm also trying my best to say his name as many times as possible. Uh, okay. <laughs> but well, I mean, um, I, I'm going to help help you with that as we move on to the next game. <laughs> <laughs> Troy defeated Texas State 17 to 14. Tez Johnson only had four catches, but went for 94 yards, 84 yards after the catch and a touchdown. And the drive of the game, often, like, legitimately, I had to look at this twice to figure out what the drive of the game was because offense was at a premium in this game. Uh, Texas State second drive of the game that set a defensive tone after starting at their own 25. It took the Bobcats uh, eight six minutes and 17 seconds to drive 38 yards on nine plays. Fourth and four, Lane Hatcher threw the ball incomplete, and Troy gained possession on downs. Like I said, it's like you really had to hunt for that one. So, what really stands out um, from from the box scores and the stats from this Troy versus Texas State game? Well, I just want to say Troy's kind of putting together a little heck of a season, huh? I mean, five and two overall, three and one in the conference. Um, the one thing that stands out to me in the box score is the fact that Gunnar Watson was on the field. Uh, he had been hurt, um, in the last game and there was a lot of doubt of whether or not he was going to be on the field, but he comes back. Those for 240 yards and a touchdown. Um, 
I think the one thing that I really need to talk about in this game, other other than the great receiving, uh, the the great receivers that played for Troy, uh, we had two receivers over ninety yards. Um, Gunnar Watson, um, he is, I want to say he he's in the top five for quarterbacks in the Sun Belt in terms of passing yards. He's got uh, one thousand six hundred ninety one passing yards uh, so far this season. Uh, he's only got six touchdowns. And he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. So I think that the big storyline that you're going to see throughout the rest of this, this year, now that Troy, you know, um, the, uh, the Trojans are going to be, you know, they're, they're first in the Sunbelt West, but they haven't faced South Alabama. They haven't faced uh, Louisiana the reigning champs. They haven't faced ULM yet. My dark horse and Arkansas state who's also putting together quite a little season. They've got army thrown in there, but talking about conference games in particular, I think that they're going to have a problem with the last couple games, last four games. Yeah, I agree. Um, Like I said, Troy, you know, heck of a season so far. Uh, we're we're going to see what the, what they're made of. I believe next week. Uh, we're not going to spoil our predictions or or this week coming up, but Troy and South Alabama will play where the winner gets that elusive sixth victory of the season. So, yeah, they're 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 facing the heavyweights. So I'm thinking if they, as long as they get one more win, they'll be bowl eligible. And then it's about trying to make sure that they're uh, um, d- doing well. Texas State, on the other hand, they they have to rebound against Southern Miss, and they end the season with Louisiana. It's at home, but they end the season with Louisiana. Um. Yeah, but they're looking promising. I I like what I've seen out of Texas yes, State yeah. so far when when they've played well, you know. But when right. you combine when when you have three rushers on the game that combine for eighty six yards, I, that's that's going to be detrimental to any team. Absolutely. So it's it's definitely going to be um, something to look at. I don't think either of these teams are going to be are going to win the division, but they could throw a monkey wrench into anyone's plans but speaking of texas state's next opponent let's go ahead and talk about them southern miss earns their first victory in sunbelt play with a 20 to 19 defeat of arkansas state uh, arkansas state james blackman in defeat went 25 for 34 236 and two touchdowns uh drive of the game after scoring a touchdown to take the 2019 lead. Arkansas State had two minutes and six seconds to go down for a game-winning field goal. After a 19-yard pass to Jeff Foreman, got the Red Wolves to the Southern Miss 42. Penalties killed them, which I'll talk about in a second. Two false start penalties and a sack for seven yards forced a fourth and 27 with 119 left. Unfortunately, Donovan McNabb was not quarterbacking this team, and uh, Blackman was intercepted by Dominic Quaywan, uh, giving the Golden Eagles the victory. 
Um, talking about penalties, you, Arkansas State was flagged 11 times for 90 yards. Like that, that has to be demoralizing when you're, when you're trying to win the game and you keep running, running over your own foot. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, the Red Wolves look good going into the fourth quarter. They were in a really good spot. They were up 19 to seven and Southern Miss, they keep them scoreless for the fourth quarter. And it's, it's really just as simple as that. I, they, they score 13 unanswered points to end the game. I mean, this was, this was a thriller. I, I'm excited to see what Southern Miss can throw together because they start off losing to Troy and then they come into Arkansas state who they, I believe are underperforming right now uh, based on what I've seen from them and, and, you know, but this, this, it's not a bad team. It's, it's really not a bad team. They just gotta, they gotta figure it out. I, I know that's I mean, vague. That's extremely vague, but, but I just, is, there's, there's really nothing like, that. But, but you were talking about the, uh, the fourth quarter. Let, let's, let's just do a quick deep dive into the fourth quarter. Arkansas state rushed for, for negative six yards on six attempts went three for nine passing for 33 yards was penalized four times in the fourth quarter alone. And the only difference is Southern miss. They had a fourth down. They converted it. They went six for 10 for 45 yards. They rushed for 78 yards just in the fourth quarter alone and sacked Blackman twice. Going into the third quarter, every one of those stats that I that I read, Arkansas State was leading going into going into the fourth quarter. So Southern Miss is learning how to close games, which a another Sun Belt team had been doing very well, very successfully over the previous six weeks, which we will talk about next. But yeah, it was, it was a close game. Arkansas state just could not stop Southern miss offensively. I mean, they went three for four on uh, third down conversions. So you're just, you're you're in a situation where you think you have the game won. Unfortunately, you forget to play the fourth quarter, and I, I think that's what happened. Southern Miss um, starting to get the pieces together. Uh, Southern Miss versus Texas State. That's going to be a big game for both, as one of them will more either get to. Let me look. Uh, a Southern Miss victory will get them above five hundred. A Texas State victory will get them to 500. So we're, we're going to see what happens there. But now let's move on to homecoming and a t- and Coastal's homecoming alumni coming in. I was at the game, and Old Dominion decided to crown themselves homecoming kings with a 49-21 victory against the Shauna Clears. The drive of the game, first drive of the second half by Coastal. They got positive yards on the first six plays. Unfortunately, 
a Sam Pickney fumble on ODU's 31 gave Old Dominion the ball. DJ Mack Jr. scored a 20-yard touchdown to increase their lead to 21 to 7. That was the basically the closest the lead would ever get in that game. Uh, Blake Watson uh, got a hats off to him, set an ODU record of 256 yards and three touchdowns. His 258 net rushing yards broke a 13-year record held by Thomas DeMarco, who got 224 against NC Central in 2009. Not only that, the team's 324 net rushing yards ranks fifth in ODU history, supplanting a 312-yard game against Florida International in 2016. Now, talking about third downs, actually we'll talk about first downs. ODU averaged 10.4 yards on every first down play. Coastal only averaged 5.5. And three of ODU, Grayson Call and uh, Coastal quarterbacks, Jared Guest played a little bit at the end, were sacked seven times. So, TJ, my question to you is this. Did the close games that Coastal has been playing in all season long finally come back to get them against Old Dominion? Yeah, I mean, so you took the words out of my mouth with Grayson McCall was sacked seven times. Um, I mean, that is, that's crazy to me. The the fact that it's seven, seven times. McCall doesn't get sacked. That's his entire career. He, there's, there's, there's three things that you can describe McCall. He does not throw many incompletions. He does not throw interceptions and he does not get sacked. Those are the three things that you can use to describe Grayson McCall sacked seven times. So for 20 uh, yards. All right. So, so McCall actually was sacked six times for 36 yards. And I believe Jared guest. uh, That was Jared guest sacked once. Uh, sacked once for three yards. Okay. But yeah. So six of the seven sacks are attributed to McCall. Like that's, you know, as, as people who did coastal games last season, it's something that we're, we, I, I think this has to be a career worse for him. Yeah. I, it's, I, I don't have the numbers on that, but when we're talking about what goes down as rushing yards, McCall, was sacked for, I believe you said 36 yards. He finished with negative 20 yards and he had some actual rushes. Like the, this is, he had a long of, of 12 yards, which was a really nice um, quarterback draw um, where he, he couldn't find a man and, and he just took it himself and slid across the first down. Um, you know, I think, I think the big takeaway is that Grayson McCall is the only person or is he's the only player on coastal Carolina that is playing out of his mind. And I think that that's a problem. I, you know, Reese white came back for this game and old dominions rushing defense shut him down 46 yards on 10 carries. Nobody could get anything going. CJ Beasley had 13 yards. Yeah. 
coming off of the performances that he's had. I mean, this, yeah, this, it was definitely something that came out of nowhere, really. I, I think that, you know, yes, uh, Chad, coach Chadwell said it himself. This team could have easily been, uh, Oh, and four. Um, and then I think the Georgia state game is the only game that they really like deserved to win outright. But I didn't expect them to get dominated like that. Oh, I, I agree. Um, he, so if you remove his sacks, he had five rushes for 18 yards. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I agree. That is, it, it, it was shocking to see. And I, uh, um, um, just, just watching the game was in seeing the stadium, just empty out in the third quarter, you know, is disheartening, especially from, uh, from a homecoming perspective. But I mean, hats off to old dominion, you know, we, we can sit here and say, well, you know, what's wrong with coastal, but we have to, we have to give old dominion their flowers. I heard quite a few people in the stands going, I can't believe we lost to old dominion, but they don't know how good old dominion is. We've talked about this entire game and you know who we did not mention. Oh, I was waiting for that. Allie Jennings, the third, we talked about this entire game and we didn't mention him. He had uh, six catches, 80, 87 yards and a touchdown. So, like, your best receiver, and it takes us this long just to, just to talk about them, like, that, that shows that uh, they had, well, obviously, when you set a rushing record, you know, that's yeah. going to be a lot of attention. So. Yeah, I mean, Blake Watson just had his way with the coastal defense. It, it, it was It was tough to watch at times because, you know, like – as as a broadcaster, like wow. As a coastal alumni, ye, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was exactly ye. That's that's I think that's that's the best way to put it. <laughs> um, but, but hats one, off to ODU, seriously. But you know, one, one I do have one question. You know, I know with with this homecoming loss, your your stress level was a little high. Um, did it get better with the next game we're getting ready to talk about? I, I don't want to talk about it. All right. We already, you, right, you cool. already so put something, you already, you already put something in our, in our little document and you know what, uh, just, just read it the way it reads. Okay. Okay. South Alabama increases TJ's stress level as they defeat his dark horse candidate, ULM 41 to 34. <laughs> I, I had to have fun with it. Uh, driving the game. I can't uh, help but notice. I can't help but think that I'm the reason. I <laughs> I can't help but think that I'm jinxing ULM because this is a good team. I will never. I, I will never go back on my word on that. You know, I'm not going to be that guy that goes, "Oh well, I saw this coming." No, I. This is. ULM's a good team. I don't know what's going on. I mean, Chandler Rogers had three. You know what? I'm, I'll, I'll get into that later. But you, you well, still got to drive to the game to talk about. Right. right. Well, South 
South Alabama took a 24-20 lead to start the third quarter. UM managed only 29 yards before Chandler Rogers was intercepted by Yam Bakes. Two plays later, caught on Lacey, caught a 24-yard pass from uh, South Alabama quarterback Carter Bradley to increase their lead to 11 points and would not look back. My player of the game was Carter uh, Bradley. 420 yards pass and three touchdowns, but he wasn't alone in just setting records because this this game and, and our last game, uh, the record book was here. Let's just rewrite it. Uh, Tyrone Howell from Louisiana Monroe caught nine catches for 244 yards, the fifth most yards in a game by a receiver in Sunbelt history. And do you know who he supplanted in that list, TJ? I do because I guessed it yesterday, but you go ahead and tell him. See, well, all right. See, you're you're just pulling the wool over. You're showing everyone the the curtain, but that's fine. All right. Well uh, well look, how like how likely is it that you're gonna actually tell us? <laughs> you're really setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm Isaiah likely it's going to happen as he, as he supplanted <laughs> Isaiah likely who had 232 yards against Arkansas state last year, but it's so grimy for using that pun. I know you'll be all I'm right. Not, I'm not you. <laughs> exactly. You, <Go> ahead. <laughs> you, 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 you will, you will learn one day in my grasshopper. Uh, Colin Lacey, like we, like we talked about in the drive of the game, caught 12 passes for 133 yards, a school record for receptions. The previous record was held by Jamarius Way against Texas State in 2018 and tied by Jalen Tolbert last year against Georgia Southern. Uh, those two players are currently playing professional right now. Tolbert is on the Dallas Cowboys, drafted in the third round. Way is currently on the BC Lions practice squad of the Canadian Football League. So, uh, what about that record book that, that just keeps getting ripped up to shreds? Well, well, I think that, like, you know, Colin Lacey, congratulations to him. You know, like, he cementing his legacy uh, in the school's record books for now. Because uh, if we, if I remember from last night, we were talking about that. That was a record that was set last year with receptions. It, it was it was it was it was tied last year. Okay, so like this <laughs> this record is it's it's standing on some flimsy foundation right now. Uh, anybody is bound to break this record, but for the moment, Colin Lacey, he's got it. He wasn't even the lead receiver on this <laughs> in this game. He had 133 yards on his 12 receptions. Devin, uh, I'm going to butcher this last name. Devin Voisin, I believe it's Voisin or Voisin, maybe. Um, He had seven receptions for 141 yards. So there's two receivers that were in triple digits. Oh, wait, hold on. Jalen Wayne, five receptions, 127 yards. This was a three-man passing attack. They said, you know what? You three guys, you guys are going to be catching passes today. There was one other pass caught in the entire game, and it was by Lincoln Sefcik. He had one yard, uh, excuse me, one catch for 19 yards. So this was a three-headed 
dragon in South Alabama. And as much as I, you know, I, I'm a little confused on what's going on in Monroe. There is something I'll say it again. I'll say, I said it last week. I'll say it again. What the heck is going on in mobile? This is South Alabama is just having a heck of a year. Carter Bradley is inching his way closer into Sunbelt player of the year conversations, uh, 420 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. Um, I mean, this, this is, this is a good team. I, I am excited to see what they do. Um, but ULM, I, they've just been on a slide ever since I, ever since I talked them up, ULM has been on a slide. Um, but South Alabama is, it's turning into, it, it was Louisiana and everybody else. And now it's South Alabama and everybody else. And South Alabama just came out of nowhere this year. Well, here, here's a crazy thing. Um, Devin Voison and Tyrone Howell, their um, res- receiving yards are number one and number eight in some about this season. So this was definitely a uh, very, very, very offensively um, minded game, which leads us to our final game. Yeah, you were saying something about records, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, definitely said something about records. Um, it, there, there is a uh, rumor floating around, uh, around there that the defenses, uh, that James Madison's defense has finally shown up to the game. <laughs> because Georgia State, now Georgia Southern, not State, um, ended James Madison's undefeated season with a 45-38 victory. Player of the game, Kyle Van Treese, passed for 578 yards and four touchdowns, ranking him third in Sunbelt history for a single game for yardage in a single game and the single game record for Georgia Southern, obviously. Do me a favor, um, read that yardage total one more time. 578. All right, continue. Okay. <laughs> uh, the two people ahead of him, uh, Daniel Meager, who had uh, who threw for 601 yards for North, North Texas in 2007, and the league's inaugural season sponsoring football still has the record Brian Lindgren, 637 yards for the Idaho Vandals in 2001. But before I talk about the drive of the game, TJ, tell me about what happened before that drive. What happened before that drive? Well, let's take a look. Uh, James Madison they took a 38 to 37 lead after a touchdown pass by Todd Zentale with two minutes and 28 seconds to go. Okay. Mm. Van Treese and the Eagles drive 75 yards in the next minute 18 to retake the lead 
and then capped it off with a two point conversion to make it a touchdown game. And on that drive alone, Van Treese had five completions for 70 yards and a touchdown. So that leads us to the drive of the game. And Kyle, you take it. Absolutely. Cause they need a touchdown to send the game to overtime and only had a minute and two seconds on the clock. James Madison started their drive on a 38 yard line, two passes by Todd Zinteo for 24 yards, got them to Georgia Southern's 38. Unfortunately for the Monarchs, I'm, I'm sorry to Dukes. They're the Dukes. I'm thinking Old Dominion. Whoa. Unfortunately for the Dukes, I know. Anthony Wilson had other plans as he intercepted Centeo with 18 seconds left on the clock, giving the Golden, uh, Georgia Southern Eagles the victory over the James Madison Dukes. And like, like I said, offense, they, they combined for 1,265 yards. Both teams gained over seven yards on average on first down, but Georgia Southern's rushing attack, um, they were on the same uh, flight as both teams' defense because uh, we'll make sure I get his name correct. Uh, Jalen White had 11 rushes for 20 yards. As a team, they rushed for 12 yards total. Yeah, I mean, I mean well, when you've got a guy who's throwing <laughs> 578 yards in the air, I don't think, I don't, for once, I don't think that this rushing total actually determines how this game played out. This is, no. this is, uh, <laughs> this is Clay Helton saying, okay, running backs, y'all take a break this week. We've got a guy who's, just setting records right now. So there's no point in, uh, <laughs> there's no point in playing. Y'all hit the showers early. We've got, uh, we're, we're running the rest of this game with a quarterback and three receivers, which he, by the way, he, this, he had three receivers. This is probably what happened. Okay. This is probably what happened. He probably got all the running backs together. He said, Hey, in, instead of playing in this game, I want to show you this movie. It's called, uh, back to school, and you'll learn the reason why our our swimming and diving team are doing so well. You watch this, you laugh at Rodney Dangerfield, and we'll let Kyle Van Trees just obliterate the uh, Sun Belt record book. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> you look at the receiving core, and you don't even look at Kyle Van Trees. Three of the receivers for Georgia Southern, Amari Jones, Caleb, uh, Caleb Hood, and um, Jeremy Singleton, all had at least seven catches over 100 yards. Yeah. Uh, Derwin Burgess Jr. also had seven catches for 84 yards. And Jalen White, the running back, had six catches for 64 yards. He had more receiving yards than rushing yards as a running back. Right. And, and you look at Jones's stats, like I said, he had seven catches for 164 and two touchdowns, but yards after the catch was 119. Like as a team, they got 325 yards after the catch. Like that was more than um, James Madison's rushing total. 
as a yeah, team. So, so you remember when the entire season I've been saying this Georgia Southern team, this offense is scary. And then they proceeded to struggle to find their rhythm. I think they found their rhythm. I, I, I think they found the rhythm. It's going to be interesting uh, next week or uh, this week when they play. Ooh. Ooh, it's going to be an interesting game. Who do we got? They play Old Dominion. Oh. Well, we'll get into our predictions for that game in just a second. But I do want to wrap up by saying Todd Santeo did not have a bad game when you look at his numbers. No. I mean, four, 468 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. And it seems like every time that he has a big game, it's overshadowed by something. Yes. And and interceptions took the cake in this one. I mean, it's he's a good quarterback and he looks comfortable and he's he has led this team to to a 5 and 1 record. Um but he's got he's got to cut down on those picks. I uh, this is a huge part of his game that just needs some fixing. I mean, this, you know, I, I can't say enough about him. I mean, he's, he's a good quarterback. Just, you know, you, you took your one loss. Now go win out, go, go fix it in practice. Go, go put your work in, get together as a team and decide you're not going to lose another game. And I think that's what James Madison's going to do. Well, speaking of losing games, we both yeah, okay. went two and four last week. Oh, did we go two and four? We both went two and four. I know that like the one big one is I think I picked Georgia Southern. You did. Um, but I think I picked the wrong side on everything else. I <laughs> yeah, let me. Uh, we both. Yeah. yeah, we both got coastal wrong. We both. Uh, did you pick Troy? Uh, I no. We both picked. So here's. I, I got you know you got Louisiana right. I got Southern Miss right. I got South Alabama right. We both lost on Texas State and Coastal Carolina, and you got Georgia Southern right. All right. Well, I think it's time we turn that around, huh? Yeah, it's, it's time I go undefeated. Yeah, it's about time one of us got a winning record. Let's let's, let's calm down with the undefeated. Uh, yeah, you, neither you have, one of us, neither one of us, have gotten a uh, a winning record. But we've got seven games on the slate this weekend, starting with tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday. Yes, uh, yes. this is Make Wednesday sure morning. Yeah, this is Wednesday morning. And our first game of week, uh, uh-oh, week eight is Georgia State at App State in Kid Brewer Stadium. Who, by the way, little tidbit on this game, this is uh, App State celebrating 60 years of um, Kid Brewer Stadium. So uh, this is the game. There, it's definitely a stadium, is definitely one of the most. Uh, uh, beautiful stadiums and sceneries in the entire Sun Belt. 
Well, they've got the the uh, the football team's going to be wearing some retro helmets, uh, oh. some retro uniforms. Yeah, go check it out. Go 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 hit them up on Instagram and and uh, and and go check out these uh, these uniforms because they look really nice. Like you know, they they haven't really changed their uniforms very often, but these these helmets are really nice. Um, but Georgia State comes into this game one and one in Sunbelt play. App State is one and two. Who do we got for this game, Kyle? Do the Panthers um, spoil this little celebration for Kid Brewer Stadium? Hmm. Well, I, I had written down this long, drawn-out explanation of, of my decision. But I decided to throw it away and just say, nope. App State has never lost to Georgia Southern. I mean, Georgia State, not Southern. That's going, that's going to be uh, thanks ESPN's bottom 10 for, get, for getting that uh, in our head. Um, yeah, what's his name? McGee? Yeah, um, Ryan McGee. If he Ryan read McGee, bottom, yeah. It's, de- it's definitely a five to seven minute entertaining read. If you're not laughing by the end of it, uh, please – uh, go see a, your um, physician because I think your funny bone is broken. Uh, but Georgia State has never defeated App State. Georgia State has only got it within 10 points once. I don't see that trend continuing. Uh, no, I, I see that trend continuing. Appalachian State, uh, they are on a mission, and they're going to send Georgia State licking their wounds back to Atlanta. Well, I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, I think Chase Bryce is having a heck of a season. Um, they're going to have some problems with Tucker Gregg, though. I, oh, I, you know, they, yeah, App State defense, be prepared for a run-heavy offense. Um, I think that if Darren Granger shows up to play, this is a completely different story, but I mean, this App State team's really good. I it it's the the record doesn't tell the story. I've got App State, which brings us to we've got another early game tomorrow, Thursday, October twentieth, seven thirty on ESPNU. Troy goes to Mobile to take on the current leaders, or I shouldn't say leaders because Troy is the leader according to ESPN. But this is for the Sun Belt West, basically. This is basically for the conference. Uh, excuse me, for the division right now. Troy at South Alabama. Kyle, who do you have? Ooh. So South Alabama is coming off of a uh, record-breaking uh, day with uh, Colin Lacey. Troy really struggled offensively against um, Texas state, but came out with the victory. So I think Troy has a better grasp of what's going on in um, uh, South Alabama because of, you know, they had to grind to that victory where South Alabama basically said here, keep throwing it and keep throwing it. And it's, you know, they keep getting caught. So I, I'm actually going to be on the Troy bandwagon. I think Troy is going to upset South Alabama. Wow. 
And this is where we disagree. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is not even close in my opinion. Uh, South Alabama is going to beat Troy. I, I'm just going to flat out say it. I don't think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be, I think Troy is a good team, but I think that Alabama, South Alabama has something to prove. They are just by, by a spread of three points. They are just the favorite. I think Carter Bradley is, is putting in one heck of a season. I think that, uh, I think that as good as, um, as, as, as good as Gunnar Watson is, I think that turnovers are going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, I think that South Alabama is going to take the West. Okay. Well, we, we got to step out of conference for this one as army continues to try to, um, uh, apply for some belt membership. Not really. We're joking. Um, but they host ULM army won its only ever meeting between the schools, 37 to seven in the 2020 season. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to ask TJ, does ULM get back on track? Well, I'm going to be as drawn out and dramatic as possible, not for my usual flair, but because I accidentally closed the tab. So I need to. (laughs) So now that I've got it back open, (laughs) we're talking about ULM and R. Um, That's cool. ULM is going to beat Army. I am not going to pick anyone else until ULM finally wins because I am still on the bandwagon. I am still a ULM guy. This is, I think that this is a good team. I think that ULM has a good run defense. Army only runs the ball. I don't think that this is going to be a close game. Army's the favorite, by the way, which I think is completely disrespectful. Um, uh, Yeah, I got I got uh, Warhawks. So, Army, their only victory this season is against Colgate of FCS's Patriot League and Villanova of the. Colonial Athletic Association of FCS. Um, they have an overtime loss to uh, Texas San Antonio. They have a 10-point loss to Coastal where they, they should have won that game and then bl- blown out by Wake Forest and um, sort of Georgia State. ULM um, had Texas and Alabama on their non-conference schedule. Um, I think Army is going to w- want to get some momentum because 
in two weeks, they have the first leg of the um, commander in chief trophy for them when they play air force, which is their second biggest game of the year. So I think UOM is going to cause a lot of problems, but seeing army in person, that two and four record is not a dignitative of how, how good they are. I'm taking army. Yikes. It's going to be close. But now let's move on to Marshall and James Madison. Marshall has only played James Madison twice. Marshall is 2-0 and in this series, both occurring in what used to be the Division I AA playoffs, with the last time these two teams met was the 1994 quarterfinals. That's 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 definitely a long time since they have met. Now they're going to be annual opponents. Uh, does James Madison rebound from its first loss of the season and continue to strike fear in members of the East Division? Well, I'm going to say that this is going to be an extremely close game. And now what you might be thinking is how could this be close? Because this is James Madison, a team that's five and one and could have easily beaten Georgia Southern last week. Um, it, it was, it was by like a touchdown. It was a really close game. How could they be engaged in a close game with a Marshall team that is extremely underperforming and can't stay in games with conference opponents. Todd Centeno has 17 touchdowns, 1,780 yards. That's third in the Sun Belt. He's got four interceptions. Two of them happening, or excuse me, three of them happening last game. I think that this game could go one of two ways. He could either shake it off and continue playing the way that he's been playing, or he might try and do too much. And I got to, I got to tell you, if he, if he tries to do too much, Marshall has two guys on the defense that are tied for third place in interceptions with three apiece. I think it'll be close, but after that, all, all that drama, of course, I do think that the Dukes are going to (laughs) win. Well, so here's my thing. We talked about Laybourne who is rushed for 851 yards and 10 touchdowns. James Madison's defense on average only allows 37 yards a game. This is going to be a strength versus strength matchup whenever Marshall has the football. James Madison's pass, you know, passing for 307 yards. Uh, the Marshall defense only allows 213. So that's that's going to be it's going to be, you know, who goes above 
the expectations based on those stats? Is it Laybourne or is it uh or is it Centeo? I'm going to say Marshall wants to improve its series record. They want to show James Madison that you may be good, but we are the original best team in transition from F from division one, double a FCS to division one, a FBS. And they're not going to take that throne from them. I think it's going to be a close game, but at the end, you're you're going to be hearing "We are Marshall." Oh, no way! <laughs> okay, so that's a game to watch. Right. I thought it would be close. I I didn't know that you were going to go with the upset. That's crazy. Did you did you see my face perk up when, when I I heard it coming? I was like, oh. Oh no! <laughs> I, I, so to be honest, I, I was I was looking at the document, so I didn't see you. But I I can I'll definitely look back at the recording and go, uh huh, yeah. But all right. Speaking of um, matchups that last occurred in the one double A FCS playoffs, Georgia Southern at Old Dominion. Georgia Southern leads the series two zero. Old Dominion faced them in the 2011 and 2012 FCS second rounds. That second game was after ODU defeated Coastal Carolina in their only ever meeting prior to last week. So, on the 10-year anniversary of Old Dominion beating Coastal, does Georgia Southern continue to trend and eliminate Old Dominion from this week? I've given you enough drama. Uh, Georgia, I appreciate that. <laughs> Georgia Southern, they've got the leading passer in the Sun Belt, Kyle Vantries, 2,512 yards. By the way, that's second in the nation. That's second in the nation, very much so first in the Sun Belt. He's got 17 touchdowns on the season. He's tied for 10th. He's got 12 interceptions which I think is a problem, but he's coming off the game of his life. This ODU team is coming off of a great win. It is no laughing matter to, to bring down um, Coastal Carolina for the fourth time in three years. Okay, no laughing matter. They, they, they earn respect in this game. They are actually the favorites. Georgia Southern has an offense that is a little bit more well-rounded than coastals right now, especially coming off of that game. I got Georgia right. Southern. I, I agree with you. Um, it's, you know, there's no way you're going to replicate that game. No way. But, how much did that game take out of Kyle Van Trees? That's the question. When you, ha- when you have the game of your life and you realize next week you have to forget about it, you, you, I know they say you're supposed to have a short-term memory, but 
They're 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. They don't have short memories. They have short attention spans, but not short memories. Uh, (laughs) But I think that's going to linger. He's going to try to replicate that. Unfortunately, this old Dominion defense made Coastal, and I'm going to say it, look second rate. Old Dominion is for real, even though they've they've been kind of off and on. They're they're three and three right now overall, but they are the only undefeated team left in conference play. So it's gonna be close. I think it's gonna to go to overtime, but Old Dominion continues its streak. And breaks the 10-year curse of facing Coastal and Georgia Southern back-to-back. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Van Priest is going to have a great game. It's not going to be 578 yards. I just think you can't go two weeks in a row where where you're not having any production from your rushing attack. No, that's fair. I don't – yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean that. No, uh, you know, if you if you have another game where you're only rushing for double digits and less than fifty yards, Old Dominion is going to run you over. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that. I don't think that uh, Kyle Van Treese is going to get much more than. Um, um, I don't think he's going to get much more than 300 yards this time. But the other thing that you have to you have to mention is the fact that Georgia Southern's rushing defense is the worst in the Sun Belt. They they allow 221.7 yards per game on the ground. Yeah. And that is something to to take note of. But their but offense but With their offense mm-hmm. is the best in the Sun Belt. With five hundred, or excuse me, the the uh, second in total yards with five hundred and five point nine yards per game, and number one in passing with three hundred and fifty eight point nine yards per game. So this is going to be a game. If Georgia Southern wins, it's going to be a game one in the air. Okay. I got you. Uh, we've we've had a lot of uh, matchups that very rarely been played. This matchup is not one of them. Arkansas State at Louisiana. Louisiana holds a 25-18 series lead and is on a four-game winning streak. Last time Arkansas State won in Lafayette was 2012. TJ. Does Arkansas State fall again to Louisiana or do the Red Wolves break the streak? So James Blackman, quarterback for uh, Arkansas State, he's having a pretty good year. He's tied for fourth in the Sun Belt in terms of passing yards. I think that this Arkansas State team is better than their record shows, but I will say that Louisiana is the second they allow the second fewest points per game in the Sun Belt. 
That's one thing that Louisiana has going for them this season. I, I think that Louisiana is going to get this win and it's going to lead to a really strong finish to this season where the West just gets thrown up in the air, basically. So I've got Cajuns. So no drama, no, um, no stretching it out. I got Louisiana too. I think they, they just found themselves and they're, they're going to make it everyone pay for the slow start to the season. But that that pulls up to um, our final game, Southern Miss at Texas State. A Southern Miss victory in 2015 by the score of 56 to 50. Even the series at one game with the road team earning the victory in each one. So, TJ, who you got? Well, first off, before I get into that game, I'd like to just mention that one of us has had a long and drown and, and, and drawn on answer for every single game except for the last one with Arkansas State and Louisiana, which means that we both have Louisiana and Arkansas State's probably going to win. Uh, <laughs> that's probably what that Always means. Happens. But going into this game, uh, Southern Miss versus Texas State. Texas State is putting together a nice little run. Um, they, you know, they end up winning or they, they end up losing to Troy, but it's been, it, it's been like on and off. Like they've literally, they've lost one, lost one, lost one, lost. The gambler's fallacy tells you that they're going to win this week. Right. Right. That's what the trend says. And I got to say, if you know anything about the gambler fallacy. It's a gamble. It's a, well, yeah, it's a gamble, but it's also completely true. So they're going to, they're going to be Southern Miss. (laughs) They're due for a win. If you're due, you always win. (laughs) Okay. I got Texas State. All right, you got Texas State. So my thing is going to be this. Game one in the series, play to Texas State. No, we'll play to Southern Miss. Texas State won. Game two in the series, played at um, Texas State. Southern Miss won. So... Uh oh, we turn it into a, a Coastal Carolina Georgia State situation. Is that what's happening? I believe it is. I got Southern Miss. Okay. <laughs> I think they're going to ride the wave of, of of last week's game and Texas State. Uh, I mean, they're they're not going to give it. To, it's it's going to be a very very good game. But I think I'm also one and zero on my upset picks with Southern Miss. So. Dang it. I'm going, I'm going for it again. Yeah. You might as well stick with them. Like I'm sticking with uh, ULM. You stick with Southern Miss and then we'll both, we'll both be disappointed. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) no, I, I wish them both the best of luck. Um, But that is episode. What episode are we on? Five, five is number five. Yeah. All right. 
I don't know. I, it's weird because we didn't start on time with the season. So it's like, you got to do some, math. it's like, all right, we're in week eight. We started in week three. So no, we started in week. We started in week after week three. Four, after. Yeah. After week three. So it's four, after week seven, five, which means yeah. that three, four, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> yeah. We're on five. <laughs> See, so, this is this is why neither one of us were math majors. Yeah, I, I I'm lucky I had enough fingers to do that one because if if I didn't, we wouldn't know. But that is episode five of Under the Sun. We've got football tonight. We're gonna try and get this episode up before then. But I think we did okay on time. Um, I think so too. Yeah. So y'all enjoy Sunbelt play for week eight. And we'll be back next week to go over the action as well as a Sunbelt Basketball West preview. So, yes. that being said, my name's TJ. That's Kyle. And we'll see you next time. Your homework assignment and your homework assignment for this week, figure out how scoring is done in rifling. Yes, yes. Please let us know. Down, uh, let us know in the comments, actually. That's a good segue, Kyle. Follow us on Instagram at under the sun SBC and send us a DM on how rifling scoring works. We have a pretty good idea, but we would love to hear what y'all have to say. But like I said, I'm TJ O'Sullivan. That's Kyle Nash. I'm we'll see you next week.